Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now let me help you discover yours. Couple of announcements. Uh, next weekend, hey Chandra, next weekend we'll be in Chattanooga. Hey Ann, uh, we'll be in Chattanooga for uh, meditation weekend number 16. It is not too late uh, for you to make plans to go. Hey Lynette, uh, you just have to find your own your own place. And Chattanooga's very, uh, there's a lot of versatility. You can go very high dollar there or there's a lot of economical stuff. And Chattanooga's not so big that, uh, sorry, I feel like I'm going to sneeze. Hang on. Hold that thought. It passed. Um, Chattanooga is not so big that if wherever you stay, that's, you know, downtown or downtown adjacent, you're going to be right there. So if you, uh, haven't made plans, Hey Matt, uh, if you haven't made plans, just scroll up to my cover photo and in the copy on that, it's got all the information. And, uh, oh, thank you, Beth. I appreciate that and I receive it. Hey, Elwood. Hey, Elwood. Uh, that was cool what Beth, uh, sent me about the, uh, she had to name the dog Zen1111. That's cool. I actually screenshot it and posted it. That was, that was cool. She was trying to get Zen3, but, uh, the only thing available was Zen1111. That was funny. Um, but anyway, uh, we'll be, we'll do the, uh, sunset meditation on Saturday, the 29th. And then we'll do the sunrise meditation on Sunday, the 30th. Uh, my plan A is to be right back on the bank of the river where we were last year. And if you, if you didn't go with us last year, as long as you're part of the, um, they don't call it message thread anymore, but it's, if you're a member of the group, uh, I, I communicate everything there. So you don't have to personally text me and ask what time stuff is. Cause I, I give all of that information in plenty of time. The, the main thing is, it's just, um, the only structure that we have of this is around sunset and sunrise. But, um, plan a is to be outside on the river where we were last year. If in case it's too, Chili. I also have a, a beautiful suite, uh, meeting room that's overlooking the river on the other side. So, uh, we're going to be golden one way or the other. And if you've never been to Chattanooga, you're going to love it. It's beautiful this time of year. Um, I can't wait to see everybody. And, um, like I said last time, uh, if you're on the fence about going, just get off the fence. Just come on. It's not, it's not like going to Paris. It's just Chattanooga. So, um, hey Lee, so come on. And, uh, then the following weekend we'll be, um, back in the theater. Uh, we're, we meet in the theater first Sundays, uh, of every, um, month. So November the 6th will be at Landmarks Midtown Art Cinema. And, uh, I have, um, uh, Johnny Almanza, uh, Ken says, Hey, he's in the next room. When are we going to Paris? <laughs> hey, you know what? Romanita never say never. I love the city of lights. I mean, all, all things are possible. Uh, Hey Don, 
from Pro- Don's watching from Prague. I got Prague on here. I got Anne's down in um, Trinidad. Um, thank you, Lee. I'm glad. I'm glad you're on here. The I, I tell you, the internet still just amazes me that I can click on this and be speaking around the world. Uh, so glad you're here, Don. Uh, Don has a new book. Uh, and I love the provocative title of it. Don, I haven't fully read it yet. Don't be mad at me. I've got a long list of books that people have sent me of theirs that are waiting uh, to be read. And if I read yours and review it like you ask, I'm going to have a lot of angry people who will be like, what's up? Why haven't you? All of you who have sent me your books, I have them. I honor your gift. I respect it. I'm more than happy to uh, take a picture uh, with it and uh, and uh, recommend it, but just you got to give me a minute, you got to give me a minute because I've got a, a huge stack of books that people have sent me waiting for my reviews and uh, I will uh, as the Lord leads I will get to it. But it it looks like it's, his book's doing really well. And um, Don, what's the type? What's the name of your book again? Go ahead and put type in your information where people can. Order it because there might be some people on here that are are interested. I've never met Don, but he he went to Southeastern where I went and years later. I got sun coming in now. Um, hey Colonel Rogers. Hey Greg. Um, so just put that in the comment section, Don. If anybody wants to order that, yes, asking answers and finding questions. That's a great title. Uh, Maybe, why don't you write your how, how do you do it with you got a website or an email go ahead and write that in and if, if you guys want to get uh, it's kind of it's it's his telling his story of coming out and uh, making peace with his orientation and um, it's I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people I've been I've been seeing him post pictures from around the world let me get here around the world of people uh, uh, getting it so Check that out. All right, so, um, uh, yes, and Henry's got a book, and Henry has a podcast, and he's Henry's doing all kinds of stuff. And what's the name of your book, Henry? Uh, remind me, uh, because people might want to order that. <laughs> Friday night, when I, I tried to do an 11-11 from here, and I couldn't get on the, the uh, hotel Wi-Fi, so I kept, it kept bumping me off, and <laughs> Henry wrote <laughs> He said, "Oh my God, I was about to have, I was about to call nine one one. I was having Jim's Willie withdrawals. <laughs> uh, I'm a hard habit to break. What can I tell you? Y'all wish you could quit me, but you can't. Facing our wounds, yeah, that's good, and I love that concept of you know dealing with your stuff, and and so that's good. Both both of these men are. Thank you, Don. I see your there's Don Hall's information about uh, where to get his book." Uh, and uh, Don, if you just give me a little grace, I'll get to it as soon as I can. Um, but um, one other thing I want to announce. Okay, that's fine, Henry. I was just giving you the opportunity. Um, then our Metron Christmas event. Uh, hey, Karen is going to be on Saturday. Um, December 17th. I'm really happy about this. Many of you know Corey Lamont, who his stage name is Choreology. 
I asked him, I said, are you still, are you still traveling? Are you still uh, performing as choreology? And he said, yeah, I haven't, I haven't gone to yay yet. <laughs> or the artist formerly known as. Anyway, um, Corey was the last worship leader that I had at Church in the Now. And when uh, when we, uh, hey, Dr. A, when we ended Church in the Now and I started Metron, uh, Corey left and went to work for uh, then Pastor Warnock, now Senator Warnock, and he, at Ebenezer Baptist Church. He's been there, well, let's see, we're in our ninth year in Metron, so he's been at Ebenezer at least that long, and he's He's one of my favorite people. He's uber talented, has great Christmas music. And we've had him a couple times at Metron, but he's always on a uh, like a time restraint because he's got to get back over there. I mean, I don't want to tick off Ebenezer because we're, you know, using their guy. So um, uh, this time he's going to come and do Christmas music and uh, he's bringing a band with him. So and he's got plenty of time. It, it's going to be really, really cool. It's going to be. Uh, we're starting at seven o'clock. We do not have a curfew, so it can go as long as we want. I told him. I said, "Why don't you plan starting music eight-ish?" Um, the great thing about being on a Saturday is you don't have to deal with Atlanta traffic uh, getting there. And um, we're just going to chart. We're not doing a dinner this year. I'm not having it catered. Um, I actually reached out to Zest that's done our previous catering and their, their, their business is booming. They said, we'd love to do it, but we, we just don't have a free night. So I was happy for them that they're, they're doing that well. Cause a lot of these businesses, uh, did not survive the pandemic. Oh, it's a, I just see it's 11, 11. Um, but, uh, what we are doing, I'm, I'm just going to charge a $20 cover charge, uh, no curfew. Maybe I shouldn't tell you all that, Jason. And uh, um, just a twenty dollars cover charge that offsets the uh, renting the facility. Uh, oh, that's cool, Avery. Wait, let me see the rest of your. Hey, Doug. Let me see the rest of your comment. Oh, that's awesome, Avery. Cool. Well, Ed, if anybody's going to dance to 4 a.m., I would think that would be you. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. I think, actually, I think 2 a.m. is their final cutoff. Because I asked him, he said, how long do you need the food? We're, we're at Red Light, Red Light Cafe in Midtown on Amsterdam. And uh, I said, I don't know, can you give it give us till like 10 o'clock? He said, well, as long as you're out by 2 a.m., we're fine. I said, don't tell us that, because I got people that will... That will shut the place down. We're not going to serve dinner, but there is a full bar there, and you can order the kind of food that you'd order at bars. There's going to be, we're, uh, I'm going to have them cater some um, like party trays around. If you want to bring some uh, goodies, some Christmas goodies to add to it, that would be wonderful. I would love that. So um, just make your plans to be there. Uh, for twenty bucks, you're, you're getting a lot. That cover. That way, I pay my entertainment and I pay for the the venue, and uh, everybody's happy. All right. So good stuff coming up. Life is good. I'm um, excited about uh, seeing you guys next weekend. All right. Very quickly, this is what I want to talk about. Just um, this scripture is kind of in my spirit this morning. It's it's um, Romans chapter ten. Uh, now, any of you that grew up around uh, traditional, whether you were like evangelical, Southern Baptist, Pentecostal, uh, 
like Billy Graham type, whatever. You're you're familiar with what they call the Roman road. We used to, I was taught that. When I, when I first started preaching, I was like, it was a, a few weeks before my, th- my 14th birthday. And right about that time, Billy Graham came to Atlanta and they had a big crusade and I signed up to be a counselor. And uh, they usually didn't let uh, people that young um, be a part of it. But uh, I went and interviewed with them, and they were impressed with my understanding of the scriptures. And so I, I was uh, um, allowed to do it. As a matter of fact, I, was, I, I don't have a copy of it, but I was on the cover of Decision Magazine counseling with somebody at, uh, at a uh, rally. It wasn't just me, but I'm in the picture. Like you can see, see it. So that was interesting. But, but, but we were taught there was um, like a formula that that uh, these uh, belief systems came up with of salvation. It was Romans three twenty three, all the sin and come short of the glory of God. Romans six twenty three, and and you take them through like the road till you get to Romans ten nine and ten, and that's uh, for with the heart. Like if you believe God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that he's Lord, you'll be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. With, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made into salvation. And they took something that really, if you read the 10th chapter of Romans, what Paul's actually talking about is he's, it's, a, it's a plea to Israel. He, says, I, he said, I would to God that all of Israel be saved. And, and it was, he, Paul would have been very unfamiliar with the concept of praying a sinner's prayer at a Billy Graham crusade or at, a, at the end of a church service. That, the, the whole idea of altar calls, that kind of came in in the tent revivals of like Billy Sunday and some of those people back in the 30s and 40s. Um, anyway, I don't want to get sidetracked with all that, but the point is uh, many people were taught a certain formula. This is how you get saved. You believe in your heart God raised Jesus from the dead. You confess with your mouth that he's Lord. And I'm not saying that's completely untrue. I'm just saying it's not um, the things of the spirit can't be formulized. Uh, true whether you call it a conversion experience or an epiphany, uh, when you have a spiritual either crisis or breakthrough or rebirth, there, you can't uh, formulize that. You can't make that into a, you can't make that into a structure. It's a thing that happens. It's it's a it's a it's a a spiritual experience or awakening that's nearly beyond your control. It's like uh, sometimes uh, it takes a crisis of faith to disconnect you from what you previously believed so that you could walk into a new um, a new awareness. Paul said it this way when he wrote to the Galatians. He said, when it pleased the Lord um who separated me from my mother's womb. And the mother that he's talking about was uh, Judaism. He's talking about the my umbilical cord was attached to the mother Israel. And he said, but when it pleased the Lord to, to uh, uh, sever me, sever the umbilical cord, suddenly he revealed his son in me. I realized 
I didn't have to go find Christ. Christ had been in me all along, but was obscured by my previous belief system. Because my previous belief system said you had to be circumcised, you had to be, you know, a part of one of the tribes of Israel, all that. He said, but once, once the umbilical cord was cut, and he used a lot of imagery like that. You know, to the Philippians, he wrote, uh, he said, I counted everything that I believed but dumb. He said, in other words, it was, it, there were things that I, um, digested from my belief system, but then, uh, I expelled it from my body. I mean, it's, you know, it's a graphic image, but he said, I counted it crap. That's basically what he's saying. He says, everything that went through my system and was expelled no longer has any nutritional value to me. It's like I got I got everything out of it that I could, and then it's refuse. It needs to be, you know, this is before plumbing, but it needs to be flushed. Sorry, I know that's gross, but don't shoot the messenger. Paul said it, not me. But uh, back to um, Romans. Um and I love Romans chapter 10. I was, I was thinking about this the other day. I don't know what, why this memory came to me, but pardon me. I remember years ago, I was in, um, I was in a record store. I guess they have record stores again now. Like my kids, um, they listen to vinyl. They all have turntables and it's like nobody has CDs anymore. That's amazing to me. But years ago, I was in a record store. Just a, a regular record store, not a Christian record store. I'm just, and I'm, I'm standing there. I mean, it's a store at the mall, and I'm looking through albums, you know, because I had an album collection. And in my peripheral vision, I see this guy. He's got a suit and tie on, and he's got. I I recognize in his hand, he's got a stack of gospel tracks. Some of you don't know what that is. A tract is T R A C T. I grew up on them. I even used to make them. I, I used to personally make them and go pass them out. And I did my artwork on them. And uh, I have, I don't mean this to be bragging. I'm saying this to give you some context. I have prayed a sinner's prayer, not just with people in a church service or on a mission field or at a prison. I've done all of that. But just standing on street corners and preaching, I stand out with a bullhorn and preach. And I, I mean, I was very good at closing the deal. I mean, I could, I could get people saved. And uh, I just was good at it. And, and um, uh, so I, I recognized the tracks that he had in his hand because there, there were tracks that I've used, I had used before myself. So he keeps, he's kind of like circling me, and uh, finally, it's like he's trying to get up his nerve to speak to me, and he finally comes up. I don't remember if he started the conversation with, if you died tonight, where would you spend eternity? But that's typically where those conversations, it was something along those lines. It was never the good news. It was never the announcement of, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. It was always an ultimatum. In other words, you're about to go to hell. You know, God loves you so much that he, he wants you to say these words so that he doesn't have to send you to hell. It's, it, I mean, when you really think about it, logically, it is a crazy idea that God loves you so much. He sends himself to die for you, to save you from him <laughs> because he loves you. But if you don't recite this mantra, you're going to, he's going to have to, he has no choice but to burn you in hell for eternity. It just, 
the the further you get away from that, the more you realize that just that just does that doesn't jive. That something's wrong with that concept. Anyway, uh, he came up to me and he whatever his pitch was. If you died tonight, where would you spend eternity? Something like that. And I'm still standing there, you know, looking through albums. And I said, "Oh no, I'm I'm saved. I'm born again. I mean, I I understand what you're doing." And he said, "No, but are you really saved?" I said, "No. I mean, I." I believe in my heart. God raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth that he's Lord. Okay? Yeah, but do you know that you know that you know you're saved? And I'm like, well, I don't know how to prove it to you, but here's something. Jesus Christ is Lord. I just said it. Does that help? Does that answer you? Yeah, but do you really know? And sometime later I was thinking, why was he so uh, just would not believe I was really saved. And I, the only thing I can figure is, I guess to his mind, wait, I'm bringing this up, so pardon me. I guess to his mind, if I were saved, I wouldn't be um, in a store looking at rock and roll albums. That's the only thing I can figure. Because in his mind, that's not what a saved guy would do. And I understand that mindset, because I, you know, I burned my fair share of albums over the years at revival meetings that, that I have great regret from because I had, oh my God, I had original Jerry Lee Lewis 45s from um, Sun Records and original Elvis stuff that I got that I found at my grandmother's house that my Aunt Joan had and I, I burned all of that stuff over some bogus quest for holiness. Anyway, it was what it was. But, um, but no matter what I said to this guy, I just couldn't convince him I was saved. And so finally, I'm like, I don't know. Do you want me to pray a prayer with you? Because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get obnoxious. Like, okay, I'm, I've said everything. I've given you every answer that you're looking for. So what else do you need? And it was so many years ago, I can't really... Uh, remember how it ended I can't remember if I, I don't think I ended up praying with him sometimes it makes people really upset if you aren't offended at their belief like I remember one time years ago when I, this is when I was in Bible college I was at uh, another mall sounds like I'm in malls all the time uh, and this woman was from like a United Pentecostal church and she came up to me and was trying to get me Saved, and I said, "Well, I'm, I'm saved." She said, "But are you baptized in Jesus' name?" And I said, "I'm baptized. I mean, does it does it really make that much difference?" She said, "Oh my!" So she tells me the whole thing about being baptized in Jesus' name, and 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 also told me my hair was. This was in the seventies. Told me my hair was too long. That I couldn't be part of the bride of Christ because my hair. And it couldn't have been that long because Southeastern wouldn't have let me go to school there if it'd been that long. But to, but to her, it was. And I said, I asked her, I said, you really think, I said, how does that work? Like this St. Peter at the pearly gates and he measures your hair and you're like, like saved, saved, saved hell. You know, is that that how it works? Like how much protein can grow out of your scalp before it brings eternal damnation? Just a question. And of course she wasn't amused at that, but you know, she just kept convincing. I said, man, she says, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. I said, okay, I'll come to your church and get baptized in Jesus' name. Would that make you happy? I mean, it's not, I said, to me, it's tomato, tomato. I said, I'm not, I'm not 
dissing what you believe. It's just, I'm very happy with my baptism experience, but it doesn't seem to make you happy. Would it help if I came and did it your way? And she said, well, no, because you're, you don't really mean it. Your heart's not in it. I'm like, well, I don't know what else to tell you. I guess, I guess I'm going to hell. It was nice meeting you. And when you see people who are locked into a religious mindset and they just can't get out of it, it's really, um, for me, it becomes a teachable moment. Like, wow, how did you get stuck there? How did you get stuck on those verses? Um, and I've also told, well, I'm not going to tell you that story. If, if I, if I, uh, go too long, I won't be able to check out and they'll charge Brad for another day here. <laughs> you don't want that, Brad. Oh, thank you, Henry. I just saw your offering come in. I appreciate it. Um, so this is what I want to talk about. In Romans uh, chapter 10, uh, there's a, before he gets to verse 9 and 10, which is believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead. Um, he says, uh, he talks about, because he's talking to Israel and he, he juxtaposes the righteousness which is of the law and the righteousness which is by faith. Um, according to scripture writers, the law can save you. The only catch is you have to keep all of it. Like you can't have any infractions. And the apostle James says, if you're guilty in one point, you're guilty in them all. So basically, if we're going for law salvation, we're, we're in trouble. Uh, there, there's no, nobody can do that. That's one reason why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus just basically, he said, look, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but I say if you've even hated your brother, you're a murderer. You've heard it said, do not put your wife away except for adultery, but I say if you've even fantasized about it, you've committed it. So he goes right down the line to where he, he leaves you with the conclusion, well, who then can be saved? Like nobody, that's impossible. And then he says, you know, he's basically saying, exactly. That's my, that's my point. The only way you can be righteous is to believe you're righteous because the, you couldn't keep enough laws to, uh, be right if, if you're going to take, uh, the Hebrew scriptures literally. So, um, uh, he says, and when he's talking about um, the righteousness, which is by faith, he talks about how righteousness has a vocabulary. And righteousness just means rightness. And rightness, it's more than just rightness with God. It's rightness with yourself. It's rightness with the world. It's being in the flow. It's being in the zone. The more... The more you talk about rightness, righteousness, the more you, the more you exalt it, the more you praise it, the more you celebrate it, the more it's attracted to you, the more it happens. Um, like the more I, uh, embrace life and just really am grateful for everything, uh, the, just the more everything gets amped up. Like even, Friday night, we, this wedding was in a, uh, it's a beautiful place called uh, McGill's Rose Garden. And it's like this kind of enchanted forest kind of situation where there's trails through all these arbors and it's, it's, it's a beautiful place for a wedding. Yesterday was just 
ideal. It was perfect weather for it, and it's just beautiful. So we did the rehearsal there Friday night, and then we came just about a block away here to the the top of a hotel where they had outdoor dining. And you know how you're, you know that little moment, it just lasts for a nanosecond when right before sunset, when the sky turns lavender and pink and it's just, it, it looks surreal. We, we got off the elevator and walked out on top of that roof and that's the way it looked. It was like, oh my God. I mean, it's like, it didn't look real. It looked like when you had walked into some ethereal dimension and I was just so overtaken by it. Even yesterday before the wedding, I I asked the wedding director, I said, do you mind if I just gather everybody together for a moment and let's just have, I said, not, not technically prayer, but just a moment to get ourselves together. And I made some declarations and we did some breath work and just to kind of get everybody ready for it. And I mentioned that I, I got choked up just talking about how beautiful the sunset was. He said, what's that got to do with with righteousness. It's because I'm right with my environment. Uh, where I go, blessings happen. Um, things just work out because it's, it's, I'm talking about rightness all the time. So it says, uh, in verse, uh, six is, uh, he says, what does the righteousness which is of by faith, what does it say? What does it sound like? Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if righteousness or rightness has a vocabulary, what would that sound like? And uh, wait, somebody else just sent me an offering. I didn't see who it was. Uh, okay. Um Anyway, uh, thank you, whoever that was. It just popped down real quick. I'll look at it in a minute. Um, but uh, it says in verse 6, it says, the, the righteousness which is of faith does not say who shall go up into heaven to bring Christ down. In other words, the righteousness which is of by faith isn't waiting for a second coming. It's not looking for a bodily return of Jesus. It's not standing out on a hillside looking at the Mount of Olives waiting for him to come in clouds of glory. That's a that that's basically a righteousness which is of the law. The righteousness which is of faith doesn't say I need to go up into heaven to bring Christ down. And then in verse uh, 7 it says nor does it say I will descend into the abyss to bring Christ up from the grave. It doesn't say that either. And then in verse 8, but what does it say? Basically, it's not. he's saying Christ isn't above you or below you. Christ is in you. If you really peel back the layers, he's basically saying Christ is you. That's what he's really saying. Verse 6 is don't say who will bring Christ down. Verse 7, who will bring Christ down. Uh, verse 8 is, what does it say? And then verse, the rest of verse 8 is, this is what it says. The word, if you read in King James, it says the word is nigh you. The better translation is near. The word is near you, near you, even in your mouth and in your, in your heart and in your mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. All, all through the scriptures, you see this connection with the heart and the mouth. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mark eleven twenty three 23 is, uh, speak to the mountain and believe in your heart that what you say will come to pass and you will have what you say. Um, 
Psalm 1914 is let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. Uh, so there's always this connection that when, when you get your heart and your mouth synced up, you are able to speak rightness into the world. And th- that's when he says, after verse eight is when he says, uh, the thing about believing God raised Jesus from the dead, the righteous, but with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. It doesn't come from the scriptures. It comes from the heart. You can read the Bible till your eyes drop out. If you don't believe in rightness, if you keep, if you keep thinking that God's punishing you all the time, you know what's going to happen? You're going to create all these things that happen to you that become self-fulfilling prophecies because you feel unworthy, because you've bought into a righteousness which is of the law, because you you don't uh, celebrate righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, but you you are obsessed with meat and drink, which is symbolic of rules and regulations, because you, you've come up with all these things in your head about, I'm not good enough, God's mad at me, I'm going to lose my salvation. All of this nonsense is completely self-imposed. It never came from God. Jesus says to the woman caught in adultery, where are, your, where are your accusers? I don't have any. You're good to go. All right, neither do I, I condemn you. The condemnation was lateral. It was never coming from God. It was coming from belief systems. Um and so what he's basically saying there, the righteousness was said, which is a faith is, I'm not denying that heaven exists. It's just that heaven is already in my mouth. When I release heaven, then his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. I speak rightness into my life. Something as simple as saying, today's going to be a great day. We're going to be in the flow. Everything's going to work out. Those are not just uh, surface things. Um, there, it's the continual speaking of rightness, righteousness. The righteousness, which is of faith, says, I don't have to look for Christ in some future event. I don't have to wait for signs of the times to finally reveal him. He has already, whew, I'm feeling this, he is already in my heart. And when I speak him out of my mouth, Christ is evident. Christ is omnipresent in my life. Last night in this wedding, the wedding I did was a same-sex couple and uh, two men. And uh, when I was talking, I said, you know, there will come a time I, I won't need to say this at these kind of weddings, but we're not there yet historically. And I said, I don't even feel a vibe from any of you here that it's necessary for you, but I feel like I need to say it. Uh, when you look at this, you think, is, that, is it okay for two men to get married? Uh, you know, does, is the Bible okay with that? Shouldn't we, shouldn't our marriages be based on biblical models? And I said, well, according to the Bible, I said, I think maybe what you mean is traditional marriage because biblical marriage is a man having a harem of women that he buys and sells and treats like property. And when he's through with any of them, he gives them a writ of divorcement and they're out of there and he absorbs their dowry. Um, Moses said, if you, if your daughter is raped, you can sell her to the rapist for a reduced price. So, uh, when the, the Bible was written by men to men as part of a patriarchal system, and men didn't even think women were uh, 
not only not equal with them, they just thought they were property and, 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 and child bearers. Um, so I said, you know, that, I said, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And so I said, I don't think biblical marriage is what you want. Um, and I said, uh, uh, when you look at Matthew uh, chapter 8, it's the story of, um, um, there's a point to this. It has to do with Romans uh, 10.8. What does it say? Where is Christ? Christ is Christ is in my mouth. Christ is released into my environment as I speak rightness. Um, but I said the the centurion, who was a, a Roman officer who had one hundred men. That's why he's called centurion. One hundred men under his command. One of them he had a relationship with. He just did. There's no there's no getting around it. When you look at the Greek, he uses the word pais, p a i s, and it's it was uh, a term that was used for a male male relationship when an older man was in a relationship with a younger man, and it was a relationship. It was not, you know, it was not. Uh, by curiosity or something like that. He said, he said, I've got a hundred men that work for me, but one of those hundred men is, is my pais. He's my, he's my partner is basically what he was saying. And Jesus knew exactly what he meant. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus was not naive. Jesus knew about sex. He knew about homosexuality. None of that stuff was, uh, he was unaware of. And without flinching Jesus says yeah I'll come heal him I'll come heal your boy I'll come heal your I'll come heal your boo I'll come heal your your heal your pies he it, it didn't it wasn't even in his nature to say I cannot condone this lifestyle choice that you two men have made no I shall not because if I heal that young man it's my sanctioning of your evil relationship. He's like, yeah, I, I, I get it. Yeah, I'll come heal him. And the man says, no, 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 it's not, I, I'm not worthy that you come under my roof because it's, you know, we live together and I'm, I'm not asking you to, I mean, he, this man was a Roman, but he apparently had enough understanding of uh, Jewish law to say, I, I don't think where you're coming from, you would approve of our situation. But he says, but, but speak the word only. Just just speak the word only and my servant will be healed because this is what happens. He says, I tell this man to go and he goes. I tell this man to come and he comes. And he said, I just speak a word and I don't micromanage them. Like once I tell them to do something, they carry it out. And he said, I'm, I'm a man of authority and, and, and I, I'm under authority. And so, uh, I believe that when I, when you give a word, a healing word, a command, it will obey you in the way that my 100 men obey me. And Jesus is blown away by this. The only time he ever said this, he did not ever say it about an Israelite. He says about this pagan, polytheistic, gay Roman centurion, he says to the disciples, well, that's the greatest faith I found in all of Israel, which, you know, his disciples took a little bit of issue with, you know, his disciples were like, uh, Excuse me, it might have taken a little faith for us to drop our nets and follow you like we have. But, you know, Jesus was, whatever the man's 
sexual orientation was or living relationship or whatever, that had no bearing on the righteousness which is of faith. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. If in your mind you think, oh, there's no way God would never use a gay person, well, that's that's your problem. That's not the way God thinks. That's not the way God's ever thought. Um, but if you are in a system where you believe the righteousness, which is of the law, you'll gather up your four little verses, uh, Bible verses, and you'll be like, um, 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 what about these verses? What about these verses? And that's, that's not the way the righteousness, which is of faith, thinks. It's like, um, you know, when this tapered off after years, but when I first came out, uh, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say the passage in Romans chapter one, where Paul, when Paul was talking about um, like boy prostitutes that were in the temple of Diana and places like that, that was part of the there there were pagan rituals that involved sexual activity to worship a, a particular deity. I'm not just trying to be R-rated here. That's just historical fact. Look it up. And he ends chapter one by saying, and by the way, any of you that judge this, you're doing the same thing. So if you read the thing in context, which most, the reason most religious people can't get out of a system is they have no concept of context, poetic language, history. They just read a thing and pull that sound bite out and just crystallize on that. And you can't get them off it. And um, I, I think it's safe to say that that passage about God turning them over to a reprobate mind, I think that's been cut and pasted to me easily 3,500 times. I'm going to say possibly 5,000 times. And, you know, when it would come in so many t- I got a lot of Leviticus, but I got a lot of Romans 1. And when I'd read it, I'd think, do you really think... I don't know how many years I'd been. I'd been in the ministry 40-something years at that point. And I would think, do you think I'm not aware of these verses? I mean, I don't, I don't get it. Like, why are you right? Why are you sending me this? I mean, do you think I have never read Romans chapter 1? You think I'm not aware of this? You think I haven't been confronted with homophobia over and over and over and over again? Like, Really? And I'm not being sarcastic about it. I'm thinking, how how is it possible that you think I don't know that Paul said that? And furthermore, that's not even what he was talking about. I Years ago, I stopped arguing with people about it because I could tell when people are bound to a righteousness which is of the law, you can you could manifest Christ in front of them and they're going to go for their Bible every time. They will not recognize him. Remember, Prophets prophesied for centuries that a Messiah was going to be born. If you believe Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Nobody saw it. They they were like, no, that can't that can't be the Messiah. Seriously, who who knew who was aware of it? Zoroastrian. Um, uh, magicians, diviners from the East who charted the astrological signs follow the star to Jerusalem and they find Herod and they say, they say where is he who's born the king of the Jews because we've seen his star in the East we've come to worship him and Herod's like what are you talking about? There's no 
There's no Messiah. And they finally find somebody who's up on uh, scriptural history, and they find this um, prophecy in Micah that the Messiah be born in Bethlehem. And so that's when the, the Magi, we, in modern times we call them the wise men, they go there. But, they, but the people... The people who said they loved the law, loved Moses, loved tradition, loved Judaism, Jesus is born right in front of them. They're like, no, that's not, that couldn't possibly be a Messiah born in a stable, laid in a feeding trough for animals. Like, no. And to this day, there are people who cannot see him. They don't see him. So that's why I stopped arguing with people, because people who haven't had a revelation of Christ don't know what you're talking about. When you talk about the righteousness, which is a faith, they look at you blankly and they think you're deceived or it's a false doctrine. So I've just learned to agree with my adversary quickly. And and even like last night, being in this environment, it was just so, let me just tell you, ever since, this is what's been happening to me since the 13th of this month. The 13th of this month was the 12th anniversary of my coming out and the overwhelming avalanche of love. It's like every day just message after message after message after message of not I like you or I appreciate it. It was like you saved my life. You saved my life. I hear the phrase you saved my life as much as I hear anything. I don't hear people say you're a good preacher. I hear people say, you saved my life. You saved my life. You kept me from suicide. You, you, I mean, I hear that all the time. I, and I'm saying that in humility. I'm, I'm amazed by it myself. But it's just been, since the 13th of this month, I've been in this, it's like buzzing all around me. It's like the favor of God is so heavy on me that it's just amazing stuff happens everywhere and it just keeps happening you know last sunday i think deirdre's on here but last sunday um i dedicated her uh, sean's and her little girls and it was just this magical little moment we had there on lake claramere it was beautiful and i i uh uh painted her paintings and she overpaid me for them i said dear i would she sends me offerings a lot. I said, I would have done this as a gift. You didn't have to pay me. And no, you're totally worth it. And I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm worth it. Yay. I guess that's what my, I guess that's what my artwork costs now. Okay, cool. And then, uh, for this wedding and I'm, I'm not making about money, but it's the most I've ever been paid for a wedding in my life. It kind of makes up for the many that I did over the years. I never got compensated for. And, uh, I was telling Ken about it and we got back to the hotel room. I said, I can't believe this is what, I mean, I would have just, just the fact they put us in this suite would have been more than enough. I mean, these are friends of mine. I would have just come up and done it. Just, it's been a, a free trip to Charlotte. It's been wonderful. And I get this, um, complete, I mean, it's a lot. And I said, I can't believe he paid me that. And Ken said, he looked at me, he said, you ought to be paid that for every wedding you do. And I'm like, from your mouth to God's ears. And it's not, again, it's not about the money. It's like just being there last night and being so celebrated and so received. I thought, you know, these are my people. Uh, I want, I, I don't know if I'm the leader of the new people, but I definitely want to be where they are because the, the people who are still bound by 
the righteousness which is of the law, they, they're like on another planet. It's like, like what's happening in politics now, like where people who, you know, get their news from MSNBC or CNN live in a completely different reality from the people who get their Fox News or Breitbart or Newsmax. Uh, that's, it's an even more extreme disconnect from the people who have righteousness, which is of the law, or the people who have righteousness, which is of faith. They're, they're like two complete different universes. And so that's why it's pointless to argue about because, and, and what's interesting about that, since I brought that up, um, down in verse 13 of Romans 10 is where he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's the Greek word sozo. It, and it doesn't, it's not talking about, going to an altar and praying, getting saved. It's talking about salvation as a lifestyle. Like when you're in traffic and an 18-wheeler pulls out in front of you and you say, God, help me, or you call on the name of Jesus and somehow you just missed it, guess what? You just got saved. It has nothing to do with your sins. It was sozo. It was salvation. Sozo means salvation from everything that's negative in your life, where you just live this charmed existence. That's God's best. That's that's life abundantly. And, um, but down in verse 17, where he, ta- he he's, uh, go read it for yourself. It's Romans chapter 10. Down in verse 17, he says, he says, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, if you don't hear this on a regular basis, you'll shrink back to, um, uh, the righteousness which is of the law because it's familiar. It's like familiar spirits going out of a man and then coming back and bringing seven more. That's why some people spiral down and become even more religious. I don't know if Doug Wentz is still on here, but um, uh, he wrote something this morning. Doug's, Doug's a, um, in my opinion, he's He's my definition of a true prophet. To me, a prophet is, yeah, forthtelling is involved in it, but a prophet, in my mind, is not just somebody who calls you out and says, you know, you're going to the next level. I mean, that's fine. I did that for years in the charismatic church. I mean, it's fine. No, nothing against any of those. I mean, I, I used to work with Kim Clement and a lot of those. I mean, that, that there's a place for that. It's fine. But then there are other people who speak things into existence and give people a taste of the world to come. And Doug definitely does that. And he, he, he'll write some things that I'm like, wow, that's out there. And, but it needs to be out there because it's out there in front of where we were going. And he was taught, he posted something this morning. We walked down, there's a Starbucks here in the hotel. We walked down there and I was reading what he wrote and, um, it was really good about disconnecting from previous belief systems. And I thought, wow, that's such a confirmation of what I'm talking about. And I wrote to him, I said, I, um, uh, it kind of reminds me of Paul in his, when he was converted, he didn't go to Jerusalem to be mentored by the apostles. In effect, he kind of gave him the finger. I mean, it was just like, I don't, I don't need anything from you guys. And they, they sort of never got over it. They were kind of offended that his, uh, apostleship had nothing to do with them. He goes to, of all places, Arabia for three years. And then finally, uh, Judaism is purged out of him enough that he says, all right, now I can go meet you guys. And he meets Peter and they spend a little time together and sort of compare notes with the pre, uh, pre-resurrection Christ and the post-resurrection Christ. 
But the point is, is he had to he had to disconnect from it. I completely understand why some people can say, you know what, I can't go back to church anymore. I can't I can't do it. And I get it. I understand it. Um, I'll tell you this. I've had. Um, and if if you have children that you want to have in a children's church or a uh, kids ministry, I completely get that, and that's positive. Uh, that's one reason I'm glad Judas Church keeps meeting because he's reaching a lot of young people, and they need a sense of community. And most of them do live around that area. Uh, I did that for years, and and we, you know, we sort of created the definition of excellence in children's ministry. So I'm I feel like I I did that already. Uh, and I completely see the the necessity of it. I'm all about relationships or whatever. But uh, Christina doesn't have my granddaughters in Sunday school anywhere. And uh, somebody asked me about that. They said, "Does it bother you?" I said, "No. I'd rather them. I'd rather them have a revelation of Christ than them be sitting in some Sunday school hearing something that I don't believe. You know, being drummed into their head that they're going to go to school tomorrow and be taught as the opposite thing." So no, it's, it's totally fine. And I, um, you know, when I'm with them, I talk about the stuff that I talk about and they completely get it and understand it and love God without uh, just completely bypassing the righteousness, which is, uh, of the law. Cause the people who are of the law end up really miserable. The people who have righteousness by faith, just, they, they go from glory to glory. It just gets better and better. All right, I got to go. I got to get out of here. Uh, I'll read all your comments. Um, remember, next week we'll be in Chattanooga. I'll be on tomorrow night for 11-11. I love you very much. If you want to give to the ministry, uh, go to bishinthenow.com. It, it couldn't be easier. You just click on a button and you can give. You can have that for your tax purposes. If you want to give to me directly, I have all the cash apps. Um some people worry because of my little snafu with PayPal. Like, did I send it the wrong one? I've kept both of them because I'm still believing uh, the person who got two thousand dollars out of me is still going to give it back to me. So I've kept that. I've kept that one open so that uh, I can get that money back. That's you know, all things are possible. So whatever, however you send it, it's it's all good. But um, remember to keep speaking the life that you want. Stop exalting the righteousness which is of the law and embrace the righteousness that is of faith. Christ is here. Christ is in the now. Christ is you. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. All right. Peace. I love you. See you uh, soon. Bye. Bye.